It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. One, sanctuary cities, have they gotten exactly what they voted for or are they victims now of an out-of-touch elite? Two, the importance of religion in a free society, as explained by Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis. Three, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? It's the Will Cam Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Monday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment, at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube. As you listen to my voice, I am most likely, at this moment, en route from Las Vegas, Nevada, to Maui. I'm returning once again. I have been fortunate enough to become part of this very impressive, much more impressive than I, group of people entitled Task Force Lahaina. Many of the same people that brought you Operation Pineapple Express, a group of veterans and civilians who step up in the wake of government failure, who look to improve the world from the ground up. And got American citizens out of Afghanistan through the Abbey Gates, around the wall at Hamid Karzai Airport with the passcode PINEAPPLE, have come together to bring needed supplies to support. In the short term, the medium term, and the long term, the devastated people of Lahaina. As you listen to me, I think I'm on a 747 donated by the Las Vegas Sands Corporation filled with hundreds of thousands of goods raised through connections to Fox and Friends. Air purifiers, e-bikes, scooters, teddy bears, respirators on their way to Maui. And there's a good chance that while I'm there, or at least on the way, I'm listening to Zach Bryan. I'm on a big, big Zach Bryan kick. I resisted the new album by Zach Bryan for quite some time. I don't know why. I just, I'm not that into new music. I don't want to be a music pioneer. I'm never the guy at the bar who says, Hey, have you heard this? And gets pride of somebody else saying no. I don't take pride in having discovered something before everyone else and then acting snobby once everyone else finally hears it. I don't know. I'm not zigging to everyone else's zag. It just doesn't do it for me. I need music to wash over me. I need it to come to me over time. And that's exactly what's happened with Zach Bryan's new album, Overtime. It's come to me over time. When I first heard it, meh. A little too navel-gazing, a little too slow. That was my initial reaction. But I was taken aback by how many kids were telling me how great Zach Bryan is. I'm talking about not just my 10th grader who is into moody music, from Jason Isbell to Kanye West, from the Flatland Cavalry to Zach Bryan. But actually, my 7th grader was telling me that a bunch of his Football teammates wanted to listen to Zach Bryan on their way to a football game, a seventh grade football game. I was thinking, that is not exactly pump up music. And it's weird because 
Yeah, I guess Zach Bryan is mainstream. I mean, he's in the top of the billboard charts. He's filling up stadiums, I'm talking about. Stadiums like MetLife or AT&T. I mean, Zach Bryan is a massive success, but still he's folksy. He's not pop. He's not produced for the masses. So it kind of made me surprised that a bunch of seventh graders are rocking out to spotless. I mean, when I was in seventh grade, I was definitely. Well, seventh grade was a transition. Seventh grade was probably somewhere between hair metal and gangster rap. I was probably moving on from Poison and into N.W.A. And by 10th grade, I was moving on from gangster rap to country, but not like soulful, moody, Americana country. I was moving from, at that point then, you know, Ice Cube to Alan Jackson. I was moving from, you know, today was a good day or the Ghetto Boys to way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. I sure wasn't listening to whatever was the folk Americana country of the late 80s and early 90s. John Prine? So after enough seventh graders, I guess, told me I need to give it more time, I did. I let Zach Bryan's album kind of wash over me, listen to it a little more intently with my seventh grader in the truck. And yeah, man, it just grew on me. I really like Hey Driver. I really like Spotless with the Lumineers. And I never thought I would have said that I like anything with the Lumineers. It's really good. And the message of Spotless, go listen to it. I love it. I want truth. I don't know if he says before or instead of, but I need truth as a basis for love. None of us are spotless. I'm not spotless. Neither, neither is you. That's the way the lyrics go. Flawed man. We're all flawed. And we need the truth of those flaws in order to build love. I love it, man. I'm loving the new album. But for me, still, I think my Zach Bryan rankings would probably go something like Jamie, number three, Heading South, number two, and number one in my Zach Bryan power rankings, Oklahoma Smoke Show. I love it. She's an Oklahoma Smoke Show. He's an from back home. So I'm probably listening to Zach Bryan. When I'm in Maui, I plan to do three specific stories. Well, perhaps four. I am going to do a story on a man named Isi Kaho who fought the fires that night in Lahaina with a water truck. As it's been explained to me, Isi is a legit hero. I'm talking about save people's lives, pull them from the flames, pull them from the smokes type hero. He did this while some of his extended family members died across town in the fires. Isi hasn't yet told his story. And after seeing my interview with Kimo Clark, I guess he has entrusted me with his story. So I'm looking forward to hearing the story of E.C. Kaho. I'm also going to do the story of Task Force Lahaina. I think you deserve to know. I think everybody deserves to know the goodness of man. Individuals, and yes, in this case, I'm going to point out corporations, again, who have donated hundreds of thousands of dollars or a 747 full of jet fuel to meet the needs of their fellow man. People donating hours upon hours of their own time to figure out the logistics, the distribution, the church connections on the ground, identify the needs. I'm telling you, I've told you before, I just want to impress upon you. And I know I'm probably telling most of you something that you already know. And for many of you, something that you already do. But it is amazing once you get out there, you get off that device. As Zach Bryan says in Spotless, I'm convinced 
phones have effed up this place. And see in the real world, the goodness of man. And I'm going to bring you an update on the now almost $2.5 million that you have so generously helped us raise to help the people of Maui fund $2.5 million. I've told you before, $12,000 grants to well over 200 individuals and families. It's been some of the most gratifying work that I have ever done in helping to find, vet, and it's never far enough. They're always never, there's never enough. There's always going to be more people. But to find these people who have been there for generations, who've lost, I'll tell you the story in one case of a family that lost 12 homes of a family of 86 people, 56 homeless. I'll tell you exactly where it is your money has gone. I will give you examples. I will tell you about the people. And for what it's worth, I will continue to bring you facts. You know, this story, as it evolves, I guess, gets less sexy for the casual consumer. And even more sad, it's not full of the nefarious conspiracy. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's full of human incompetence, as is always the case, almost always the case. We're not full of competent masters. We're ruled by incompetent idiots. But I'll continue to bring you the facts that people have asked questions about. They need to understand, are there 2,000 missing kids? Was there a direct energy weapon? Man, I've grown to respect literally in the ashes from day one. Put out a video. Check it out. It's on Instagram, Truex, Kimo Clark, addressing each and every one of these. I don't throw around this word lightly, conspiracies, because it doesn't matter whether or not it's called a conspiracy. All that matters is the truth. That's all that matters. It increasingly matters who we turn to, to trust, to not confirm our biases or tell, you what we want, tell us what we want to believe but to tell us the truth. I'll tell you this truth. In distributing this money, it is a lot of work. I don't know what's going on with Oprah. I don't know why Oprah has been so... Um, look, nobody trusts for whatever reason. Nobody trusts Oprah. Maybe it seems self-serving. One thing about constant communication, one thing about everyone having a camera, and I hope this is the case, more exposure reveals more authenticity. There are very good actors in my business, but... Over time, people see who you are. You have to trust that. It's the only currency on which I want to trade, authenticity, so that you can know the truth. And somewhere along the line, I guess she went from beloved to lacking trust. I know people in Maui. I do know people who have applied for her $1,200 a month grant along with The Rock, and they haven't heard anything back. But look, it takes time. Trust me, I know. And I'll respect her for trying to help. I will. That doesn't mean I trust. So I hope I will continue to authentically earn your trust on this story and every other story that, on which we speak. And right now, I'll put those headphones back in. I'll listen to Zach Bryan while you listen to story number one. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow Democratic Congressional Committee members gave a press conference in New York City where on the street they faced the citizens of New York to explain what they intend to do about the 
not migrant crisis, but illegal immigrant crisis. Let's not play semantics or hide the truth behind inaccurate words. Not everybody is a migrant. A migrant is someone who's simply traveling. Not everyone is seeking asylum. It's an easy claim. But everyone we know is an illegal immigrant who is coming through our southern border, who is in this country without proper documentation, without proper vetting. And let me tell you something. It's happening in New York. Yawn. Say the people of Texas, the people of Arizona, the people of California. And I agree. These cities like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago have built themselves at a low cost as sanctuary cities. They're like social media posters who buy fake virtue because everything remains far away. Ensconced in their room, on their device, it's easy to say who you are when nobody has to see reality and you never have to live in reality. It's easy to say, oh, this is all about race or, you know, you don't like people with melanin enrichment or you're a racist. When the illegal immigrant crisis, which has nothing to do with race, is always far away from your doorstep. But it's interesting when it starts starts to throw a shadow over your doorstep. And that's what's happened in New York. I've walked along the Upper West Side and I have seen the rise in illegal immigrants inside of entryways and doorsteps that did not exist five years ago. I've walked through Midtown and see people strewn about the sides of the streets. I'm picking my adjective somewhat deliberatively, but probably not even evocatively enough. It's a mess, man. And look, New York City is a mess. It's just kind of always a mess. I walked in to talk to you today thinking (laughs) way too philosophically while listening to Zach Bryan about like, man, and I was like, people aren't meant to live like this. People aren't meant to live in these gigantic metropolises. Why? Because we're all too anonymous. We're just someone in someone else's way, on their way to somewhere. We're not a community. And if there's anything that I have with age begun to believe, I have believed in the sense of community. Oh, I'm an individualist still. I believe man should be able to pursue his own self-fulfilled vision, his free pursuit of him, of his ambition as an individual. But you cannot and you should not be removed from your community. You should always care about your neighbor more than Ukraine. You should. You should always care about your neighborhood more than some faraway united state. You should always care about your church more so than an issue 200 miles south. You should care about your community. When you live in places like New York, you get a sense of the loss of community. And I try not to be a misanthrope. I do. Because New York will turn you into an episode of Seinfeld. Why are you walking three wide? How dare you have strollers all the way across the sidewalk? Do you not see the rest of us here? I'm walking here. But I tried, man. I looked around. And it's, you need to. I need to. Think about it all the time. Oh, look, look at those three girls over there talking, laughing, having fun with one another. Oh, look at those two guys that are probably Uber Eats delivery guys on their bikes on the side of the road, just talking, just communing. You know? I still don't know that this is the way human beings were built to live. We were built to live in villages. We were built to know each other, to support each other, to take care of each other. To show up with a plate of food at a funeral or after a funeral. To celebrate each other's accomplishments and be there for each other when we're down. But this is the way it is, at least for now. We've evolved into these huge metropolises. And this metropolis, New York, you know, you would think it could absorb 
nameless, faceless, illegal immigrants. But it can't. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has said, city services, police, education, housing, food, his words here, it will destroy this city. It will destroy this city. And part of me thinks you voted for it. You chose it, New Yorkers. You chose to be a sanctuary city when it was easy and it was far away. You chose this, Chicago. You chose this, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the exception to that rule because it's long buckled under the weight of illegal immigration. But even recently, the mayor of Los Angeles, Karen Bass, tried to paint herself as virtuous while... I guess, talking about the vices of her virtue. She said, look, Los Angeles has always had an open heart for illegal immigrants, so we're used to this. But, but, she said, let's hope we don't get another plane load full of illegal illegal immigrants. It's not going to work for us. And then I think to myself, get that plane load. Do it, Ron DeSantis. Do it, Greg Abbott. Do it, Arizona. Do it, Texas. Keep choking sanctuary cities on exactly what they've asked for, because they've been happy to allow that problem this far away, to let their senators vote, to let their presidents ignore, to let this problem metastasize. Because again, yawn. You got six figures of illegal immigrants? Talk to Texas. We're talking about millions. We're talking about drastic change. But here we are. We arrive at this moment, and there's AOC out on the streets. And what is her solution? She's telling you her solution is We're going to get these illegal immigrants to work so they can support themselves and that they can be contributing members. We got to we got to give asylum to Venezuelans. She she, everything she had to say was about how we can help honestly further encourage and incentivize this illegal immigration. And it was received exactly as it should be. Oh, yeah, it was, man. Shouted down from New Yorkers. Shouted down. Shut the border down. Close the border. She couldn't get her words out. She was flustered. Don't worry. I'm sure all she has to do is record a TikTok dancing video and she can win everybody back over. But what it was was such a illustrative moment of either someone representing their constituency and giving everybody exactly what they wanted or an elite in an ivory tower giving a sermon when the peasants on the street no longer want to eat cake. She is so far removed. She and so many in D.C., which is their fortress, which is their elite ivory tower, are so far removed from the people. Here's another example. New Fox News poll. 91% of Americans, 91% consider inflation extremely or very concerning. 91%. Again, it should come as no surprise. This was a big problem during the midterm elections, but it's continued. We're dealing with high interest rates. Mortgage rates are up. I'm sure you felt that. You felt the Pinch at the grocery store. You've seen the rising prices. 53%, according to a Fox News poll, believe that Joe Biden's policies are hurting America when it comes to inflation. And and then how do we respond? Well, we not only ship jobs overseas to places like Vietnam or China, but we import cheap labor, illegal. It's think about that. Ship jobs overseas at the same time importing cheap labor. Print money. You've got people underemployed, poorly employed, or unemployed making dollars that do not keep up with the cost of living. This is the source right now of the United Auto Workers Union 
strike with the big three automakers. Ford Stellantis, is that what Chrysler is now? And GM. Right now. I mean, the automakers are saying, look, we can't make money with this government push towards EVs. Policy, again, elite, ivory tower, removed from society, make them eat cake, make them drive EV vehicles. Don't make money for the automakers. At the same time, the workers have a legitimate complaint. Hey, our cost of living, our COLA, our cost of living adjustment is not meeting in our contract with the automakers, not meeting inflation. So essentially, we're, we're working the same, making less. And this is about policy. This is policy-driven. Ship jobs overseas, import cheap labor, print money. A recipe for disaster. But pander a little more, man. Tell them the other guys are racist. Pander a little more. Tell them how boys should be able to play girls' sports, that it's a civil rights issue of our time. Pander a little more. Make a TikTok video. AOC. This won't last. It won't last. Considered a prediction or a warning, it can't last. That recipe that I just described, it's not sustainable. It's not. And a removed, out-of-touch elite that continue to sell you lies in a story where they are the savior will eventually have their bluff call. This cannot last. And when it breaks, it won't be because of a neat and clean and beautiful democratic process. This is how societies collapse. This is how empires fall. This is how people turn on one another. Ignore your people. Serve the needs of other people. And sermonize to them from your ivory tower while they yell at you to do your job. Even, even in places like Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York. Don't go anywhere. More of the Will Cain podcast right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Story number two. The importance of religion in a free society. Republican candidates for president were in Iowa at, I don't know, Religious Freedom Conference. And pretty much all of them took to the podium to talk about the importance of religion in a free society. I thought two things really stood out. Two speeches, two statements by two candidates running far behind the front runner, Donald Trump. Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis said... I don't know how you could be a leader without having faith in God when you stand up for what's right in this day and age. That it's not going to be a cost. You're going to face blowback. You're going to face attacks. You're going to face smears. And it's a faith in God that gives you strength. The same fight against lies, against deceit, against opposition. It gives you the foundation to know that all the insults, all the nonsense they throw at you ultimately doesn't matter because you are aiming higher. So people ask me, how do you become a good leader? Well, one of the first things you need to do is put on a full armor of God. That's great advice for the individual. Plant your feet firmly on a foundation. Truth. God is truth. And then you can take 
the lies. You can take the attacks. You can take the deceit. You can take the mischaracterizations. But this is where it meant, this is what I liked about what he had to say about the role of God in society. The left in this country wants us to return to that pre-constitutional layer where religion is merely tolerated, but it is not allowed to flourish. And so the battle lines are we must win the fight to restore religious freedom as the founding fathers of this country intended it to flourish in the United States. That's exactly right. Somewhere along the way, we began to believe the Constitution of the United States required secularization, not just secularization of the government, but secularization of its people. Separation of church and state seems to have come to mean state without church. But we weren't built to simply tolerate. We were built to flourish. Because our founding fathers understood the necessity of religion. Here's why. The United States of America was an experiment that embraced the idea that individual liberty would be preserved through protections from the government from the government, not truly by protections by the government, but from the government, the one entity that has the true power to take away freedom. And with that, when you limit government, you limit its power, you limit its duties, you limit its responsibilities. You don't turn to government to solve all your problems. It's hard to imagine because we've really perverted that so extensively over the past 200 years. I mean, got a problem? Turn to government. I can tell you, that's not the story of Maui. I keep coming back to that. But man, I'm telling you, it's the story of bottom-up. It's the story of community. And that's the way the United States was envisioned. We didn't turn to some far-removed, thousand miles away, on an ivory tower, in an ivory tower, on a podium, octogenarian to solve our problems. Because the founders knew it couldn't. It's literally maybe the least qualified to solve your local problem. But that's not to say we wanted to live in Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, that we wanted no organization, no answer to our problems. The founding fathers, in fact, knew that community and religion is truly, with that singular societal element of the family, the foundation of civilization. It is civilization. It is what distinguishes Mad Max, not government. Not even the local police. It's your conscience. It's your deeds. It's your responsibility to your fellow man. And all of that, all of that, right there, laid bare, laid clear, preached in religion. It wasn't tolerated. It was necessary to the experiment of America. It was necessary. We need these ties that bind. We need community. We need that moral authority. We need that higher calling. It's the only thing that made sense to the founders. They weren't trying to create well, the caricature of the wild, wild west. They're trying to create a civilization answerable to its people, its community, and to its God. And it's all through there. One nation under God. It's all through there. <laughs> Read our founding documents. If they wanted it to be free from God, they sure forgot some edits. No, it was integral to this experiment, part and parcel of freedom. 
And without it, as we've moved increasingly secular, we as individuals and then we as a society don't have the capacity to stop looking for a higher calling, for a purpose. And we intuitively, innately know that it isn't government. Vivek Ramaswamy spoke to that. He, he gave a speech where he said the following, right around the same time we see the rise of this cult of racial wokeism, we see the rise of a different belief system. This one's the cult of gender ideology in the United States, as it has so many letters, LGBTQIA. They put a little plus at the end just to include the rest of the alphabet. He talks about then the rise of wokeism as a replacement for religion. You know, every bit of it. Not just racial wokeism, but gender ideology. And for that matter, climate ideology. I mean, think about it. It's taken on all the trappings, all the rhetoric of religion. It is based upon faith. It has penance. It has sacrifice. The only difference is it's unforgiving. It offers no second chance. It only offers condemnation of the individual and the past. Ramaswamy Swami pointed out one of the flaws in its faith-based doctrine. He said, this one has some interesting, and we're not going to be angry about it because sometimes our anger clouds our judgment. If we want to get to the bottom of what's going on, we have to see it with clarity. He's talking about gender ideology. This one says, the sex of the person you're attracted to is hardwired on the day you're born because it had to be in order for gay rights to be civil rights. You're all familiar with that. That's been the line of argument for the better part of, I don't know, three or four decades, that your sexual orientation is hardwired at birth. You're born that way. And in so arguing is akin to a civil right. Ramaswamy goes on. But now also says, the gender ideology now also says that your own biological sex is totally fluid over the course of your life. Meaning he's talking about gender now, right? So your sexual orientation is fixed at birth, but your biological gender or sex is fluid throughout your life. It can change back and forth. Ramaswamy says, again, you can't believe these two things at once. You can. You can, Vivek. If you don't believe in logic. If you're believing in a religion. If you're required to act by faith. And that is the role. That is the vacuum. That's the vacuum America has begun to fill the hole, the secularization without religion. Wokeism. It's irrational. Doesn't need to make sense. It's a sermon. It's not an argument. It's a commandment. Not persuasion. People need purpose. People need organization. They need community. They need God. And they need it more so in a free society. God and religion were intended to flourish in America because they were necessary to complete the puzzle that is America. All right, we're going to step aside here for just a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? This is a internet meme going around. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Where women are 
taken aback by how often men think about the Roman Empire. They have a video, they pull their camera up, they confront a man, hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And they're taken aback by guys that go every day or at least once a week. And they're, 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 they're tickled, they're appalled. How could we be so different, right? Men and women. And now I will tell you, some of my producers here, we still have to figure out our punishment for James Laverty for see, uh, proclaiming Texas back too early. Uh, some of the suggestions you guys have sent in is write a 500-page um, essay um, uh, on the old Will Kane show with Nuno Bubba Saruti, Mike A, Pat. We used to have an eating challenge every March Madness. We had to, we were each tasked with bringing in something really gross but edible. Like I went to Chinatown and went in these stores, and I don't even know what these things were. By the way, I had restaurant. I had dinner at a restaurant with my boys and my wife this week. A Thai restaurant, pretty authentic in Dallas. And they had these Lay's potato chips. And my second son's real adventurous. He's like, yeah, let's get one of those. I was like, yeah, man, I'm curious. They're all like shrimp flavored, seafood flavor. Awful. Really awful. On the, in the old days, like one of the things I had to do is I had to take a spoonful of wasabi. I mean, a spoonful of big green wasabi and eat it. Because my team lost and whatever was happening in March Madness. That one Delayed effect. And then I tried to wash it down with Coke, and it was some of the worst burps in my life. Oh, we had like like pickled jars of pickled herring, and um, I don't even remember everything we had. Some gross stuff. And guys had to eat it on the show. That's a good one. We, sh we could make James eat something nasty. I don't want to read some 500-page essay on why Texas is back. Wear something, I don't know, wear something around the office. I'm still trying to find the right answer on what he needs to do. But one of my producers on this podcast, Patrick Hatton, says he thinks about the Roman Empire all the time, or more than you would think. And I didn't think at all about it before this. I don't know that I think about the Roman Empire. Look, men think about empires. United States of America right now, it's kind of, Late stage empire, you know? How long did the Romans last? What brought the Romans down? When did they turn to bread and circus? It's the distractions our elites are giving us from their ivory tower. Pander. Everybody else is racist. Everybody else is a bigot. That's our version of the Christians in the Colosseum fighting lions. I don't know. The, the Vandals and the Huns all knocking at our door. I don't know. I guess I do think about the Roman Empire every once in a while, right? Romans went from their democracy into authoritarian di dictatorship. Maybe that's where we are. Maybe we're not collapsing just yet. Maybe we're transitioning. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like history. So, I, I, I mean, if you'd ask me, hey, Will, how often do you think about the Old West? The answer would be, oh, oh, that I think about quite often. Yeah. Yeah. Kit Carson, Billy the Kid, the Texas Rangers, the Comanches. Oh, I think about that a lot. The Blackfeet, the Sioux. Dahmer party. Yeah, I like that stuff. But I don't know. Ask your man. If you're a woman, ask your man. Regardless of age, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I guess the answer is supposed to surprise. Better yet, answer me this. Will Kane podcast at fox.com. Which historical time period do you think about the most? I think about the Old West the most, but I know there's a lot of World War II and Civil War buffs out there that probably think about those as much or more than the Roman Empire. Like, 
what historical period do you find yourself drifting back toward the most? Mine is definitely 1800s frontier America. What is your historical drift off metaphor mindset? And ask your man how often he thinks about the Roman Empire. All right. Back to Zach Bryan. Back to my flight to Maui. I'll see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.